So this is week five in our Get Real series. Anybody remember what our two R words have been? All right, Get Real. But the R stands for two words. Anyone remember what they are? We talked, it was only a month ago, people. Come on. Renewal. All right, that was one of them. Revival. All right, very good. What about the E's? Education. That was a couple weeks ago. Evangelism. Very good. That one was just last week. Glad to hear. Um, I missed that sermon, but um, I'm glad you all didn't. So today we're going to take a look at worship, but not just worship in a general sense. We're going to talk about what it means to be accountable to worship. That's what the A stands for, accountable to worship. So we've got revival and renewal, evangelism and education, accountability to worship. And next week we're going to look at living in the new covenant, but we're not there yet. So this morning, I just, I have a question for you right from the get-go. Will you still love me if I say some hard things this morning? I, I'm, I'm a little worried I might step on some toes this morning, but uh, I think sometimes we need our toes stepped on a little bit, and um, hopefully, hopefully uh, that'll come across all right, and uh, you know, this, this service a little bit is different. Um, you all are, are faithful in your attendance, and you can count on the people who have been here in this service. So some of what I'm going to say won't hit you in exactly the same way it might hit some of our other services. But uh, worship is important to us because it, it's one of the central expressions of our Christian faith. It's part of who we are as Christians to worship. Um, but not just because we're Christians, it's because we are made to worship. We're made to worship. All of creation shows God's glories. Psalm 19 says that the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. And you see, humanity has a special place in creation to, to take all of that worship that creation is doing, all of that praise, all of the glory that creation is giving to God, and, and we're supposed to funnel it right back up to God. We're supposed to sum it all up together in humanity to turn that worship of creation back to God. But also, uh, there, there's something in us that knows that there's something bigger than us out there. Ecclesiastes 3 says that God has set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. But there's that recognition in our hearts that there's something greater than us. There's, there's something that we should worship. And we know that to be God as he's revealed himself in the Old and New Testament, as he's revealed himself to us in Christ. And we worship that God. So, so what is worship? Why do we come to worship? And I think in large part, we were on men's retreat last week, and uh, there the theme of the week was soul rest. He was talking about what does it mean to rest in God. And, and part of what we talked about was that idea of Sabbath that God sets out from the very beginning. Uh, he, he, the speaker last week said, 
part of what we're doing in setting aside the Sabbath is recognizing and remembering the work that God has done. We're remembering and reflecting on the work that God has done. God paused after six days of work, took a day, and reflected on it, and he said, it's good. It's very good. And it gave him joy. It filled him. And so we pause from our work to reflect on God's work and, and think about how the work that he has done has given the work that we do the meaning that it has. Worship literally means, it comes from an old Saxon word, um, but it means to ascribe worth, to ascribe worth. And so as we reflect on the things that God has done, we're declaring, we're saying that God is worthy of our praise because of the work that he's done, because of who he's revealed himself to be. And he's made, a, he's made himself known to us through scripture, um, but also through the life of Christ, which again we find in scripture. So uh, that's why scripture needs to play a central role in our worship. It's why we use scripture as our call to worship. It's why we uh, read publicly the scriptures in our worship services. You know, the Apostle Paul told Timothy to devote himself to the public reading of scripture, to preaching and to teaching. To devote himself. This, it, he, Paul was telling Timothy, this is of the utmost importance because it's as we encounter God in scripture that we get to know who he is, how we get to know what he's doing and where he's working. And in turn, then we can turn that praise and that worship back to God. We can magnify him and lift him up. So we're created to worship and we're going to worship something. The question is, what are we going to worship, right? If you don't, you can't just say, well, I'm not going to worship anything. Because there's something inside us that's made to worship. And in the absence of something we fix our eyes on, there's something else that's going to creep in there. There's something else that's going to take that place. So we're made to worship. But we also, we're going to prioritize what we worship. Or, to put it conversely, the things we prioritize are going to show us what we truly worship. So what are you making time for? What do you set aside time for in your week? Is worship the central piece of your week, the piece that kind of orients the whole rest of your week, or is it just one more activity among the many things we're doing? Do we take time to plan around our worship, or do we only attend worship when it fits in around our other plans? You know, there are plenty of things in life that we set aside time for. There are many people today who don't seem to have any trouble finding six, eight hours to stand on the side of a soccer field on a weekend. But where are they on Sunday morning? Where's that one hour? W you know, there are people who um, can find an hour to work out every single day of the week. But when you ask them about worship on Sunday morning, they say, oh, well, I don't have time for that. There are those of us who 
who watch a show or a sporting event faithfully. You never miss an Eagles game. <laughs> that would be me too. Um, it, it was really hard for me last year when they played uh, in London, and their game was at 925. I was right smack in the middle of worship here. But what are we going to prioritize? So even those good things in our lives can become an idol if we put it ahead of God. Anything we turn to for comfort or meaning before we turn to God, it's an idol. Listen to this quote from Richard Foster, who wrote a famous book on spiritual practices called The Celebration of Discipline. He said this, The divine priority, that means God's priority, is worship first, service second. Our lives are to be punctuated with praise, thanksgiving, and adoration. Service flows out of worship. Service as a substitute for worship is idolatry. Activity is the enemy of adoration. So you hear what Foster's saying there? We can get so busy serving that even that can become an idol if we put that before our worship of God. Our, our service has to flow out of our gathered worship, not take the place of it. It's important to be here in worship. It's the rhythm that God has set from the very beginning. Six days of work, one day of rest, reflection, worship. And it was the example that Jesus gave us. So many times throughout the scriptures, you hear uh, through the gospels, as it's telling the story of Jesus' life, said, Jesus went into the synagogue on the Sabbath, as was his custom. It's what he did. His disciples knew it was what he did. It was part of who he was to be in worship in the synagogue on the Sabbath. So those things that we prioritize are going to show us what we're worshiping in our lives. So we're made to worship. We prioritize what we worship. But we're also accountable to worship. We're accountable to worship. And we don't always love that word, accountable. You know, we, 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 don't, we don't necessarily like that there's something that holds us to a standard or that we have to, uh, there's a bar we need to meet. A lot of times we just want to kind of run our own lives. We want to be, we don't want to be accountable to anybody but ourselves. But I believe as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we're accountable to worship. We're accountable to be in worship. God's people have always gathered to worship together. Ecclesia, that New Testament word for church, it meant the called ones, the gathered ones. It was the assembly of people who came together to worship. So we come together not just as spectators and not just as consumers, but as participants. This is a congregation gathered for worship. It's not an audience that comes to listen to some music or hear a good message. You all are participants in what is happening. Even as the pastor stands up here to preach, you all are participants in that. We don't gather as an audience because worship is a corporate, communal activity. We're part, each one of us, of the body of Christ. 
you're missing a finger. You miss, do you notice that, that missing digit? Yeah, absolutely. Henry, this week, as he can't see out of that eye, his sight's coming back, but there were days there where he couldn't see. Did he miss that eye? Even though it was still there, it wasn't functioning. It wasn't participating the way it needed to because of that injury. We are gathered as the body of Christ. And when there's a piece missing, when there's a part of the body missing, it's noticed. It, it diminishes our worship. See, I think sometimes we struggle with the idea you know, we, we all know that our faith is personal, right? We can have a personal faith with God because of what Jesus has done. We don't have to go through a, a high priest. We don't have to go to the temple and offer sacrifices. We can come to God through Christ. It's personal. But sometimes we then, I think, confuse that with the idea that it's private. Our faith is personal, but it's not a private faith. We have a corporate faith together where we believe together, where we worship together. It's not just about me and Jesus. It's about me and Jesus and the body of Christ for the sake of the world. The passage that Colleen read for us from Hebrews makes it clear that this gathering together of Christians is important. That meeting together and part of the reason that's true is because we're called to encourage one another. That passage says, spur one another on to love and good works. It's hard to spur someone on when they're not here, isn't it? It's hard to spur someone on when you're home, not in worship. But we want to spur one another on toward love and good deeds. This is what God has called us to this is part of why we worship, to encourage one another, to fellowship with one another, to lift God up together. So what does this all mean for us? What does this all mean? I think as followers of Jesus, we need to make gathering and worship a priority, a number one priority. Now, let me just make a little distinction here. Gathering and worship is not necessarily the same as coming to church. You hear me? Gathering in worship is not the same as coming to church. Because you can worship without coming to church. You can worship anywhere you gather together with believers. You can worship in a home, outside, in the church, wherever. But you can also come to church without worshiping. You hear me? You can come to church without worshiping. We're going to do a baptism this morning, two twin girls uh, from the Spitaleri family. And in that baptism vow, we ask those parents to help those children learn to give reverent attendance upon the public and private worship of God. Nowhere in there do we say, we want you to raise them up to be good church attenders. Right? I hear some laughs out there. It's, it's fine. We don't, we know that there's more to church than just attending. We come together 
to worship. And we want to raise our children up to understand that, that they're called to private and public worship of God together with the body of Christ. And sometimes that might mean making hard choices. It might even mean that we look like the weird ones. Some of our friends look at us and say, what do you mean you're not on the soccer field all day Saturday? We're not going to do it. Well, why? Because we don't want to give that kind of time that's going to take us away from the things that we're called to do. We aren't called as Christians, as followers of Jesus, to look like our culture. We're called to look like Jesus. And sometimes that means we have to make hard choices. But it also means that we come to worship as we gather together as the people of God with the expectation that God is going to speak to us, that God is going to do something in the midst of the gathered people. We remember what God has done together. And that's part of why in our worship we sometimes take time to remember the things that God is doing, to ask that he would work in different situations. That's why we give praises and prayer requests so we can remember what God has done. We come to worship with this idea of holy expectancy. We come expecting to hear the voice of God, whether that's through the scripture reading, Lord willing, through one of the messages, through the prayers, the worship we sing, we expect to hear the voice of God. And that gives us an opportunity to respond to God and leads to holy obedience in our lives. But gathering together in worship also means that we take, or being accountable to worship, rather, also means that we take responsibility for who is in worship. I'm not talking about taking roll call and checking things off. That's not why we do the connect card, for, for the record. We're, we're not checking up who filled it out and who's here and who's not here. Um, it's not some kind of check-in system. But if you're like most of our congregations, you have a certain place in the sanctuary that you like to sit each week, right? How many of you have that spot? Everyone in this service can raise their hands. You, you have a spot you like to sit, or at least a section. Maybe it's not the exact seat. And that's not wrong. It's not a bad thing, unless you start telling guests that they're in your spot and they need to move. Then we might have a problem. But, but over time, you get to know those people who sit around you, right? You, you form relationships and you, you deepen that fellowship together. And you then notice when they're not there, don't you? There's an absence that you feel when they're not in worship. I want to suggest to you today that, that we're accountable to one another in worship, but we're also accountable for one another in worship. To be here ourselves, but also to, take, to be accountable to the for the people around us. I can't tell you how many times someone has come up to me either before or after a service and, and asked, Pastor, I've noticed that so-and-so hasn't been here in X number of weeks. Have you reached out to them? Generally, we have noticed, and the answer is yes, but we're, and 
don't get me wrong, we're grateful when you let us know that you've noticed someone's missing. I'm, I'm not trying to, to be snarky or anything or defensive, but my question back is, have you reached out to them? Have you made a phone call? Yes, we want to know that the people are missing, but if we together are the body of Christ, then it is each one of our responsibilities to reach out to those that we notice are missing. Again, Hebrews says that we are called to encourage and spur one another on. In the words of John Wesley, he said, we're called to guard one another's hearts. As pastors and staff, we're going to reach out when we know that someone's missing. But how meaningful would it be if you miss a couple weeks in a row and you get a phone call from your friend, your brother or sister who sits near you in church, and they say, hey, we noticed you weren't in church. We w- you weren't in worship the last few weeks. Is everything okay? Is there anything you need? We've missed you. We've noticed that you're not there. That's being the body of Christ. Trinity, we need to get real. That's about our revival and renewal. It's about education and evangelism. But it's also about being accountable to worship. We need to make a commitment to God and to one another that we're going to be accountable for who's in worship, for who's not in worship, because we're made to worship, and we're going to worship something, and and we're going to worship whatever it is we prioritize. So how can we, as the body of Christ, be the body of Christ and be accountable to worshiping God together? Would you pray with me? And then we're going to sing a song. God, we are grateful that you call us together to worship you. We're grateful for the opportunity we have to build those relationships that come when we worship with people over the course of weeks and months and years and even decades. God, we're grateful for those deep fellowships that exist because of what you've done. We're grateful for the opportunity to reflect on those things and allow those things to speak to our lives together, corporately, not just to us individually as we sit uh, alone studying your word, but, but when we gather together and you have a word that you want to speak to us as a congregation, as, as Trinity United Methodist Church. And God, we pray that you would continue to help us as we grow in that accountability to worship. Give us a heart for the people around us so that we can say, we noticed they weren't there and we want to reach out. We want to be the body of Christ to them. So God, we pray that you would help us Help us to get real, to focus our hearts on revival and renewal, on education and evangelism, on accountability to worship, so that together we can live in that new covenant that you've called us to. In Jesus' name, amen.